Hi, I'm Melissa Ritz, and this is Served, a podcast about female military veterans and their experiences in and out of uniform. Today, I'm joined by Sherlinda Scales, an Air Force veteran, TEDx speaker, entrepreneur of her grandfather's award-winning recipe, Mutt Sauce, and she's a new mom. Sherlinda, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Share with us how your military journey started. Sure. So I never had aspirations of joining the military. (laughs) And I was a country girl from Tennessee. I'm from Cookville, Tennessee, originally. I did grow up in a household full of veterans, though. My grandfather was a Korean-Vietnam War veteran. And um, I have uncles who are veterans as well. But I grew up with my grandparents mainly and my mom out in the countryside. And uh, having the influence of my grandfather, I think, was the beginning of this journey of me eventually going into the Air Force. He was an aircraft mechanic in the Air Force back then. Um, he had the call sign mutt. He had the ability to blend in anywhere. Just a really adaptable personality. Everybody loved him. Uh, I, I got a lot of the life lessons and values that I hold from him and just walking with him and listening to his stories of of service and putting service before self and dedication. He did over 20 years, even though, you know, you come back sometimes back to America to a deeply divided country and still saying, you know, it's worth it. You know, and that to me was just really inspiring. So when it got up to uh, time to go to high school, thinking about what you're going to do after high school, I wanted to be a, I was a jock. I wanted to play sports. Specifically, I wanted to either play soccer or run track. And the very first game senior year, I was waiting on like scouts. Maybe I would uh, get scouted into um, playing Division One soccer. And at the time, Clemson women's soccer team was number one in the ACC. And I tore my ACL the very first game. It was like the most devastating heartbreaking. I'd never been injured before. So for me to have my first injury be like the career ender, um, I I just laid out in the field, like what just happened? You get to the doctor and it's like Friday night lights where it's a small town and they know all the athletes and they're rooting for everybody. So they're like, Oh, this is nothing. We're going to get you back out there. And then they do the x-rays and the MRIs and like, Oh my God, you know, you're done. So, um, At that point, I'm trying to think of what am I going to do with my life? Because a lot of my plans were centered around going, you know, playing sports and having that pay for school. So I tried to run track in that spring and thinking I'd get a track scholarship. My my times were horrible. I don't even know how I rehabbed in a year to do spring track and field. But yeah, I was in that gym like a maniac. And, uh, I remember just one day uh, sitting in math class and this kid was filling out a reserve officer training corps uh, scholarship application. I said, what's that? He said, some scholarship. I don't know. You had to do stuff in high school. Now we joke in my family, but my mom enrolled me in every type of program, camp, science camp. You should do beta club. Why? Because nobody in our family has done beta club, so you should do it. Like, she would just would make sure I did everything no one had ever done in our family. That was her goal. And for that reason, 
I could, I was like, hey, I'm gonna have to write small because <laughs> <laughs> fill up this whole application. I took it away from him and filled it out out of boredom. And when I was in the hallway, I passed my guidance counselor and she said, hey, what's that? I was like, some scholarship, I don't know. She said, well, hand it to me. So I, I gave it to her and uh, she turned it in. And the next thing I know, I was having the interview with, uh, uh, who's a captain who came to, I guess, do the scholarship interview. I didn't realize what it was. I didn't take it seriously at all. So, you know, I'm mannerly. So I'm yes, sir. No, sir. But I still did not understand the magnitude of what he said. I think you are a prime candidate for one of our scholarships. I was like, well, that's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Really flippant. And we got invited, my mom and I, to the end of the year scholarship awards night. And we're sitting in the back of the, the auditorium. I got, I thought I got like a book scholarship for $200. I knew I'd won a book scholarship, but I'm thinking I'm about to have student loans forever and ever and ever. And they said the last two scholarships are full ride ROTC scholarships to the college of their choice. And they said my name and I'm just sitting in there like, what? (laughs) And that was it. Okay. A couple questions. Was it Air Force specific, this application, or was it just branch wide? It was Air Force ROTC. And I didn't really understand ROTC. I didn't understand, like, when you graduate, you're going to be an officer. I didn't under like, I listened to my grandfather, but I didn't like the higher, like, how that worked between enlisted. I didn't think there was a difference. I just thought everybody just went in the military, just one, you know, one track. Right. Did you have your sights set on Clemson specifically because of soccer? Like, the, yeah. and you knew that, and that's why, mm-hmm. and so then when you got the scholarship, that was just the natural school that you wanted to go to. So as long as I got accepted to Clemson, I could apply the scholarship to Clemson. And that's what I did. So did your, what did your grandfather say when you told him about at awards night, scholarship night, that this happened? Well, of course it was a celebration. Right. It was definitely a celebration. And uh, I told him, it's like, it's reserve officer training course. And you come out, you're, you're going to be a second lieutenant. And he was just like, what? You know, like his eye just bugged <laughs> out. A second lieutenant? Oh, you know, like, I right. don't know what the, I didn't understand at that moment why that meant so much to him, you know, and for, he was in for over 20 years and he, he made the rank of tech sergeant. So you know, back then, that was really good, especially yeah. for a minority. I, I thought that was pretty top notch. So I didn't realize that I would outrank his rank, you know, from day one. I didn't know that. I didn't think, you know, and to me, I'm like, everybody serves. So there shouldn't be a big, shouldn't be a big difference because he's my hero. But also you're the first woman in your family to serve. Yes. Well, first female and first officer. So what was that experience like to go from Tennessee to South Carolina, to go from high school to Clemson, not just college life, but ROTC life and that whole introduction? You know, for me, I had gone away from home again, all the programs mom put me in, but this was, you know, any college student is leaving home. It's a big adjustment for the whole family. And I was excited though. I mean, I was, I was ready to do it. And what was your major? I majored in business management and aerospace science. Going in, did you know what your military job was going to be? No, they don't tell you till senior year. So you, you go to school. So you're going to school full time. Right. And then every Thursday, you have to do your Air Force related training. And so that's, that's pretty much the schedule every day for the first two years. Somewhere around sophomore year, you have to go to camp. So what you would 
think of as like boot camp. I went to Lackland uh, Air Force Base in Texas. Man, let me tell you. <laughs> you're a college kid and then you go to boot camp because, you know, when you get there, I think I was like, they gave us this video and I'll never forget it because they gave us this video and they said, you know, this is a simulation of boot camp. And when you get there, so you're watching the video and this, you, you hear the TI and the, the taps on their shoes and it's clicking. You see the students are in this bus and they're sitting at attention and you can hear the tapping. It looks like a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then he comes on with this big brim hat and it's like, you can't see his eyes. And he's like, oh, I'm TI. I'm like, oh my God. And he said, uh-huh. stand up. And so everybody stands up, sit down. So he does it until somebody messes up. And then that person gets eaten alive. So <laughs> imagine like you've been in college, living the college life. And then you get on the plane to go to Lackland. I remember being on that bus. And I was like, man, this looks just like that movie. <laughs> and then it comes to a halt. And the bus driver said, if I was y'all. I would sit at attention right now. And so we're all like, okay. And then you hear the freaking shoes. And I'm like, this is real. Oh my God. It's Uh real. Uh I'm going to die. Like it was, it was hard. I remember that first night I, I marched because you still have to march to the bathroom. If you go anywhere, you have to march there. So I marched at like three o'clock in the morning to the bathroom, put my feet up in the stall and just sobbed (laughs) heavily for a good 30 minutes. Just hard cry. I, you know, dry my face, march back to the bed, get up in my bunk, lay my head down and the lights flipped on and there's TIs coming in and they're flipping mattresses and throwing mm-hmm. all your stuff everywhere and yelling at you, get up, get up, get up. And I'm like, I haven't slept. Oh my God, I have not slept. We're going on a five mile run. What? <laughs> so uh, everybody has to get dressed, redo your bed. Right, right. Hospital and corners and all Hospital that. corners. And then we go on a five, and I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted. I'm just, it was the first week was just a blur. Of course, they call it hell week. So, yeah, it was just a blur. But you come back and that's when they start saying, OK, well, they're starting this weeding out process uh-huh. in ROTC. So it's not just your grades. It's how you're doing in your training now. And then senior year, they start dishing out your job. And I was business management. So they're like, we're going to put you in acquisitions. I asked for Office of Special Investigations, OSI, um, Security Forces, and intel so i was like i want to do something where i'm putting away bad guys like that kind of stuff yeah now you're gonna you're a business major you're gonna be acquisitions program management i'm like i don't even know what that is (laughs) what year was this 2004 okay oh wow yeah as the war is also getting underway oh yes Right. So, uh, yeah, and that day, 9-11, I was coming back from class and my roommate at the time was dating someone who was in, in the army and he was one of the first people shipped out. And so they're on the phone and she's crying because he's like, I got to go. Like, we're leaving now. Like, they left before they announced that they left. They were already headed out. 
and I'm, I'm trying to comfort her. And, and she said, this is, this is going to be your life, Shalinda. Are you ready for this? And when she said that to me, I'm like, oh my God, no, I, this is real. You know, mm-hmm. war is real. Our, mm-hmm. you know, our young folks are out there fighting, mm-hmm. keeping this place safe. The and world was so different in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, the war was different. We didn't have social media back then. Um, yeah, blogs were kind of the new thing where people were getting information that way. Right. It was all, it was a very different world back then. So yeah. And to be going through college and having those discoveries of seeing other people going into it. And it's like, this really is a war situation. Mm-hmm. It's a very different world that you were entering. You signed up for. Yeah. And I remember, you know, we all had to report into the auditorium and the commander had the speech of like, let's remind you that going into the military is real. Don't let this college life fool you. And so um, it was a sobering moment, sobering mm-hmm. moment. But it was, it, it really made my heart feel good to see the country come together the day after. Like we forgot about the things that normally would divide us. We're rolling up our sleeves as Americans and saying, what do we have to do to take care of, of the American family? Like to take care of us, take care of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put it back together to heal people, to take care of the sick, you know, take care of those who are injured, mm-hmm. and to make sure this doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was a very, I remember that. That was nothing like I'd ever experienced at that point. And I don't think I've ever experienced nationally since, certainly in the military for sure, but like mm-hmm. civilians and military after 9 11, there was just, it was, there was something powerful happening. It was a huge shift. Yeah. Where were you? Um, I was stationed in Istanbul, Turkey during 9-11. There are only 10 of us there. I was working at the consulate, uh, moving mail from flights that came out of JFK to Istanbul. We moved mail downrange. 10 days later, I ended up at Ramstein. I worked in the medical field. And then Mm. going to Ramstein, this was September 21st, 2001. It was lockdown war. I mean... They had all these dividers up, there were inspections, they had to check the trunk of your car. You didn't go on to base in uniform, you went in civilian clothing. There were protesters outside the gates, Germans were picketing, CNN was outside, and this is, it was brand new, right? Yeah. So um, we were gearing up for the initial invasion to Iraq in 03. So there was just a lot of movement happening, a lot of mobility prepping on deployment lines, getting, you know, DNA cards, dental records, next of kin, all that settled. And then going into the Middle East as women, it's just a whole different thing. Oh, yeah. They were briefing women about going in and having to wear the headscarves and the men were having to grow beards, which in the military, you're not supposed to have that facial hair at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a whole thing. So I did not deploy. I was on the deployment team. But they uh, canceled our mission 24 hours before we were supposed to deploy. But we were getting anthrax vaccines. You know, there are chemicals of mass destruction. There's just so much happening. Wow. Um, but all that to say, there was the support of like, we need to go in and do this. We can't let this happen again, mm-hmm. like you were saying. And there was a collective front of like, we need, we need to go in. So this is at the time, like... They were taking POWs, Jessica Lynch and her team, you know, they went off course and they got captured. And where's the first place they come back to? It's Launchstuhl, Ramstein Medical Facility. So just seeing that though, real time and not on TV, it just really hits home in a different way. I bet. 
yeah, that that was you know nine eleven was very sobering, and I still had two more years of of college to to do. So when you do graduate two years later, and you're now a second lieutenant in the Air Force, what were your next steps as a new acquisitions officer? Was there a specialty training school you had to attend? So it was the one. Uh, it was the one MOS, I guess I don't know what they call it, AFSC. Uh, that you don't have to go to a long training school. They just send you to your first base and you just start working. So I reported to Robbins Air Force Base down in Georgia. I got there and I didn't, you know, in my head, I have all my memories of my grandfather talking about climbing on aircraft and hanging out with the maintainers and all this cool stuff on the flight line. And they said, report to this office building. And I get in there and there's a bunch of cubicles. I'm like, the frick is this? Like... (laughs) people in an office sitting at cubicles and uh they said hey your desk is between larry and barry i was like that don't even sound right so it was a cubicle between a guy named larry and a guy named barry no way yeah are you making a joke no no were they civilian uh and they're all civilian so i was like where are the military people you know there's yeah, it was like needle in a haystack to find some military folks. So I'm like, this is just not anything like what I expected. It's like corporate America. Right. And you're in uniform and everybody else is civilian. So who was your leadership? Civilians. Wow. Did yeah. Did you for that? Did you have any idea that was how? Was- I had no idea. I mean, there there were military people obviously on the base, but, you know, you had to go to like your, I think it was the group commander was a military person, but then their deputy was a civilian. So like your closest military person was sometimes the commander. Wow. Were the people around you, any of them prior military? Yes. So that was what was great was, you know, a lot of these civilians are retired military folks who've gone into civilian life. So were there any women there with you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was quite a few. So my first supervisor was a woman. She was a retired security forces person. And the program was the Air Force Small Arms Program. So we managed all the stock of like grenades and handguns and general officers pistols. And the fun part about that first program is you have to, before acquisitions, you're a program manager, you're a glorified team leader. Your job is to make sure that you produce capabilities on time, on cost, you know, for your customer. So that meant that you had to talk to a lot of government contractors mm. and they were like Remington and Beretta mm. and they're all coming to show you the latest handguns and well, we need to test them out. Well, we got to go to the range. So, so you get to spend the day at the range. Like it was, that was cool. That yeah. was really cool. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it was different. It was different being surrounded just by civilians all the time. I, it was not what I expected. So you had to kind of seek out your comrades, your military comrades. We all had our little tribe, stick together kind of thing. Uh, I was there for four years and went to Boston, stayed at Boston for four years. And it was time to get my orders. And I said, I want to go anywhere except for Ohio. And they're like, okay, well, um, congratulations, you're going to Ohio. <laughs> And how long were you stationed at Wright-Patterson? Another four years. And during that time, you became an entrepreneur. Tell us about Mutt Sauce. Was it 2015? I was just eating some random food, and I thought that it sucked. <laughs> That's all that it was in my head. was like, man, this really sucks. You know, it would be great. It'd be like, my granddad made this sauce, and 
I haven't had it in so long. So I called mom and I asked her, I was like, you know, it's not even right that he didn't leave that sauce recipe to anybody. He's got five kids, you know, somebody. And that was the start of my divergence. And I guess my purpose is, you know, I thought it was 20 years of service. And now I'm handed an envelope and I open it and it's the original recipe. And I'm like, well, what? he gave this to me. Yeah. You have the only copy. And I'm like, I, how, you know, why, <laughs> why? I, I just didn't understand. It was, it was humbling, but at the same time puzzling. Cause you're thinking to yourself, there's so, I thought there's so many people in my family that are more deserving, more talented, could do more with it. Cause I don't even know what to do with it. So that's uh, I was on active duty and I started the company out of the mentorship of other people. So John Suter, he was at this company called Score. It's a nonprofit. It's in every major city. And he said, you need to think bigger. You need to think about if you want to take care of your family, you need to make this a business. So I'm going to give you a checklist. You're going to turn this into a business. And, and that was the first time I'm like, wow, Okay, so I just want to make some for some for friends and family. I just want to make a few because he used to just put it in a gallon jug. And if you need some sauce, you can get some sauce from him. And I was like, if maybe I do that. But I don't know when I'm going to have the time because I'm active duty. So <laughs> that was my priority. I have a job to do. So I don't know when I'm going to do this. And I'm talking to John and you know, John's about my granddad's age. So it was very nostalgic talking to him. You know, getting that mentoring from an, an older person that I used to have with my granddad. And he's like, look here, you know, move the speed of determination. You can, you can do this. However determined you are is how fast it's going to happen. I love that you had this inkling of something, just this germination of maybe making a jug of your own recipe yeah. that your grandfather gave you. And then this gentleman, you know, you sought him out and he has bigger plans for you. This is what I love about entrepreneurship. When you come in with an idea of what you think it could be, and then someone just exponentially gives you the permission to take it further. So what were John's next steps in helping you grow your business? He found a peer mentor. And I think that this is very important on any entrepreneur's journey is to find someone who's doing something similar to you, but maybe is a couple steps ahead. So they can give you real time feedback. Like, I've been through this. Let me tell you what it's really like. Mm-hmm. He gave me this lady named Peggy and she owned a salsa company. And uh, she sat me down. She said, you know, I've been in this game in this, in this area for over 10 years in business. And she said, I know every manufacturer here. I know every CPA. So she's just going through all the different things that you need to start your business. And she said, I'm just going to give you my whole Rolodex. How about that? So that shaved off a lot of time because if you're going to take a product like this, or I guess what comes out looking like this will take you about a year, you know, it'll mm-hmm. take you a year to get to a bottled product. Mm-hmm. And four months later, I'm sitting there at first production while I'm on active duty. Four months. Four months that is so fast. And it, how long had you been in the Air Force at this point? Uh, that was 2013. So, you know, we're, we're coming up on eight years. So coming up on eight years, but now you've got this business that you can totally see is resulting in something. Yeah. We had our first launch. I think that's when I really saw it because insight to my brain, I planned backwards. So I planned a launch party before I even had the production done. And I do that because that keeps me from not faltering on my goal. Like 
you have to, or you will embarrass yourself. So I invited a bunch of people. I joined the local chamber of commerce. I invited all the members and I said, I will have bottles of mutt sauce there for you to buy. And so everybody's like amped up. Oh yay, we're having mutt sauce. I was like, okay, now I got to find a way to make it. <laughs> But you give yourself a deadline and you hold yourself accountable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so in the eight years, though, and while you're doing this manufacturing, did you know that you were going to get out of the Air Force or did you plan on having a career or were you kind of in this phase of like, I'm seeing what doors going to open? Did you know you wanted to get I out? I feel very much committed to um, staying in the military because in my family, and I know it was a little backwards, but... My grandfather, he looked at service as you're done when you've retired. Right, right. And I think that was like old school, you know, you've served if you do 20 years. But if you've served a day, if you raise your right hand and you go in there, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, you were only in there for 24 hours. Thank you for your service. So, you know, that was my thing. I, I was going to, I was still following his mentality of you have to do 20 years. And so that's why I was like, this is just a side hustle. I'm just going to make this first batch for friends and family now that I have a bottled product and uh, we'll see if other people like it. So when we sold out of all 700 bottles and I'm like, holy crap, now what? Because, you know, it's a thing. Other people like this as much as my family does. So that's when it's like, okay. I went back to John and I was like, so what do we do now? I got all this cash. I, I sold all these bottles. He's like, you take it, you make more sauce and you keep going. And I was like, what? He's like, that's entrepreneurship. Just keep going. So when did you separate from the Air Force? Oh, it was 2015. At that point, I had been in for 10 years and it was the first time that I really cared about my personal life. I kept trying to chase this guy across the whole world, it seemed like, long-distance relationship, and we never could get at the same base. And they're like, well, we consulted the Air Force. and like, well, if y'all get married, we might try to help y'all. I'm like, seriously? Uh-huh. You help us without forcing us into eloping? Because even after, on paper, even after we got married, they still wouldn't put us in the same assignment. When I got to Wright Pat and I was there and we're trying to figure out how we're going to make it work, he got orders to Washington, D.C. And I arrived and he left. So that was going on for the first time. And then um, Mutt Sauce was like, every time I turned around, we were in a new store. We're, we're doing demonstrations. Six months in, we got picked up for Shark Tank. It was just like mayhem in a good way. Mm-hmm. And I was really torn because... I felt like I need to give it more of my energy. Uh, but if I do that, I'm never going to sleep. I'm working all day long on the base, all weekend for mutt sauce. At night, I'm prepping for the weekend for mutt sauce. So I just made the decision. I said, I'm, I'm going to get out because right now I'm technically I'm married. I'm, I'm, we eloped, but I'm still married. And he shouldn't have to, after all these years, have a spouse who's in a different state. So next thing I know, I got out. I found a government contractor job. And the next thing I know, I'm back on the base as a civilian. <laughs> it's different. It's, a diff- it's different. Did you get out as a captain or a major? I, 
I made major and got out the day before the announcement and ticked off everyone. They, my friends were like, Charlinda, everything you've been through, you made major. <laughs> so my name was on the list. And so they're calling, congratulations. I was like, I'm not in the military. <laughs> but you made major. But you, I love that you got out to pursue this passion you had, to take a risk on mm-hmm. your, your family, this product you created. There's something about that, to, to take that risk. A lot of people aren't willing to do that, especially 10 years in, active duty. It was um, a lot. Because that pay bump from captain to major is significant. It hurt a little bit. Yeah. You, know, you look at the responsibilities, the more you stay in, there's a lot of responsibility. So how could I have juggled all of that active duty, more responsibility, probably another PCS to another base and, um, and, and still being married. Right. So. Right. Right. You know, and I, I went on to Washington DC and I, tried to juggle being an entrepreneur still and my sauce was still going. And I would sometimes drive 10 hours in the middle of the night and drive to Ohio, take care of business. I would shower in the base gym, do my meetings, get back in my car, drive back to DC, doing the middle spouse thing. And to support my trips, I, I got a job because he's like, you don't need to do anything. Just be here. I'm like, Oh no. I got to do some. <laughs> I got to yeah. do something because I don't want you paying for this business. I don't want you to have to put your money into my business. So I was, I took a job. I started working at the Pentagon. I was working as a, a government contractor again. And then I got another job at the Federal Aviation Administration after a couple of years of that as a civilian. And that whole time was running Mutt Sauce and live, you know, Mud sauce in Ohio, traveling, living in D.C., mill spouse, working a full-time job. I was exhausted. <laughs> I was exhausted. I'm exhausted hearing it, and it, but it plays into your nature of doing 50 things at once. You know, after a few years of that, you really start to look at why are you in this and what's most important to you? Because I, I would say yes to anything. Hey, can you go to LA for 48 hours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're living in hotels because you're flying everywhere and being all things to everybody, not realizing that, you know, you, you're taking a backseat, like your self-care is taking a backseat. Yep. And I was, I guess I was looking for a breakthrough. I was looking for something that seemed like a breakthrough for the business or for me. And that was, I think, 2017. So 2017 is when we won the Bob Evans contest. And that, I, I mean, I, I thought it was great. Bob Evans, they were started by an Army veteran. So he understood Bob Evans himself, understood service and selflessness. And to put together an award that was just, hey, we're just going to give you guys money. Because there's all these contests out here. They're like, oh, we'll give you money for equity. Or, you know, with all these stipulations that don't actually help the entrepreneur. And so, you know, I learned that I won. And on top of that, when I went to Shark Tank, I got rejected. And I was hoping that Damon John would be there because our backgrounds are so similar that I I knew that he would understand my journey to getting to where I was as an entrepreneur. And that was a long road. And he wasn't there. So he was the only shark that wasn't there. You fast forward to 2017 and I get a phone call from Damon John. 
And he said, hey, you've won. I'm like, hey, who is this? <laughs> this is Damon John from FUBU and Shark Tank. And I just, you know, I lost it. I, I had a breakdown in that federal building because when you've been grinding so hard mm-hmm. and you just are hoping for some sense of catharsis, like some sense of it's working, everything I'm doing is working. Mm-hmm. And that did it for me. So I'm on the plane, headed to New York to, to meet all these people. And they're like, you're going to get this money. And he sat me down. He's like, I know where you're coming from. And I'm trying to tell you, you need to put that money in a place that's going to have return on investment. Like, don't go out there and, you know, fulfill your dream of having a BMW. Because that's I put 25000 of my own money and get a BMW I never got, drive a Honda. It's okay. but but he's like be smart with it because he said i've had a million dollars and lost it all looked up and had five hundred dollars left he said and do what you have to do he said i worked at red lobster i was like okay he said don't let people shame you on your journey because only you understand what you're doing it for why you're doing this you just keep that in mind and that that really set it off for me so and, you know, people see that I have met him. They think that we talk all the time. But no, I mean, we barely talk like that, you know, you know, as people. But that that one session with him has stuck with me this whole time. It was so deeply personal that I'm able to look at situations, just stop and remember what he told me that that day and say, you know what? That doesn't have a return on investment. This person just really wants $1,500 a month of my money. And <laughs> I can't tell if I'm going to get it back. So right, right. Uh, it's, it's really helped. But I mean, I remember that the very next week, the very next week I left my marriage and that was hard. Uh, I, it was something just randomly happened. And when you don't have plan, and you think of, you've seen your life, 20 years from now and you're going to be old with this person and you know, you have plans, you're going to retire from the military and life just keeps proving to me that you can think you can plan all you want to. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I left with again, nothing. And I was in a one bedroom apartment on a Coleman cot that I stole from the garage. I remember sitting there looking at like, I had, bags like clothes and stuff that I had taken with me and just sitting there like I can't believe this mm-hmm. I am miles from home in a city I never really planned on living only because of one person I'm here and I still have a business back in Ohio that you know people don't care about your person these people buying mutt sauce are not like Oh, what? What's going on? Uh, is there enough mutt sauce? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, are the, the shelves stocked? Like, you had to take care of them. You know, your feelings have to take a back seat. And so veterans, I'll tell you, like, one thing we're good at, that is compartmentalization, buddy. You put that stuff in a box. Yeah. And you deal with what you got to deal with. And you come back to the box now. You know, sometimes we have moments where that box will open when you're not ready (laughs) multiple boxes might open at the same time that you're not ready for yeah yeah so yeah I had to put it in a box and just say what what do I have to do again we're not gonna hit rock bottom we're just gonna figure out what we're gonna learn 
and uh, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. So mm-hmm. I did that for about four months. And I I had an assistant at the time. She was mm, she was a bad chick. She drove to D.C. with a U-Haul talking about, you're leaving. You're leaving this apartment. You're quitting your job. You're coming back to Ohio. You're going to get your shit together. Good for her. I was like, I have it together. She's like, you think you have it together. But I'm going to tell you now. (laughs) Is she still in your life? Yes. Yes. Mm. And that was was a saga too, but a good one. Um, She showed up and that had surgery. So the thing was, she's like, you're not even, you're not even like, logical you think you're being logical she said but you had surgery on your foot you're sitting in an apartment by yourself healing from foot surgery pretending like everything is fine Mm. (laughs) and you need to be where people can watch you care about you you know you're isolating I said I didn't realize I was doing that she's like and you need to put the wine down We packed up my little apartment. Uh, I quit my job, and I remember being in my—I remember being in my supervisor's office, and she's that—that's a bad chick too. And I'll never forget it. I was crying. I've never cried on the job ever. And I—I I opened up to her and told her what was going on in my personal life, and I said, "I'm—I have to go." I have to leave this this place. I have to leave DC. I have to go to Ohio. I have to leave. And I don't want to quit this job because you're the most awesome supervisor I've ever had. And she said, You're you did something that I I don't think I would be able to do. She's like, I I just want to give you a high five. Like, you go, girl. I'm like, what? <laughs> I just told you I just left my marriage and I'm quitting my job. And she's like, get out of here. Love it. Was this your Pentagon job? FAA. FAA job. Yeah. I love all the power in that. These are doors that are meant to open. These are people in your life for a reason. Yeah. I hugged it out with her in her office. She let me sit there and cry a little bit more. And then and I headed out. Me and my, my assistant, we hit the road. And ever since then, you know, you know you're going to go through stuff. But it's been great. My assistant now lives down in Florida. She's enjoying the sunshine. And I thought, <laughs> like, you're meant for bigger things. I mean, you, she's talented. She was a mill spouse herself uh, who had, had moved on trying to put her life back together. And mm-hmm. I said, you could be an operations chief somewhere. She's like, no, I mean, I've never really had a job. And she, she was an immigrant who got here, got her citizenship. Um, she was working as like a bartender when she first got here. I mean, just hearing her story, I was like, you are like the American dream to me. For sure. How you just started from nothing. You came here with nothing. And I'm telling you that being my assistant is not where you need to be. You need to be being someone's operations chief. Yeah. And uh, now she does. She works down in Florida as an operations chief making about the salary that I had. Yeah. I'm telling you, she's uh, like, good for her. That was probably the happiest recommendation letter I've ever written in my life. She's, she helped me so much personally. Your company has continued to expand and grow. Mm -hmm. Your business is still thriving. 
Mm-hmm. Grandpa yeah, said, "We've on this journey, moving forward, and and there's power and persistence, right? If you just don't give up, some of the most awesome things happen. The only thing you really did is refuse to to quit, right? And and you have to listen to people who are doing a great job in whatever area it is their expertise, and that's another thing is I'll gravitate towards people who are really good at something specific, mm-hmm. and." I don't, you have to put your ego, you can't have an ego. I think if you walk into entrepreneurship thinking that you know everything or because you're CEO, whatever, somehow you can't be told anything, you're not going to do well. So just to kind of circle everything together, you know, it's Uh been a roller coaster, but, you know, as it stands today, of course, COVID hit and it's impacted every small business, everyone's trying to figure out how they're going to continue on, how they're going to thrive. And I think this is an opportunity for everyone to either sit back and evaluate where they're at, uh, evaluate their life and what's important to them. And for those who are, are hitting their personal rock bottoms right now too, you know, this is an opportunity to figure out what does your customer want and what do you want in life? What's important to you? Sometimes it's good to hit the brakes. And for someone like me, who's not good at that, mm-hmm. that did it for me. I was able to say family is everything. I had a baby in March. That was part of my personal journey of something I always wanted to do was be a mom. So the, through all that stuff that I went through, to be sitting there in March holding my, my son was like, what is this? Thank you, God. Like, <laughs> I don't deserve this, but thank you. I was worried at first that I was so high octane and fully booked that even though I was excited at pregnancy and having him, I was worried on the back end, am I going to learn this lesson of slowing down or is he going to get a fully booked mom? Mm. That's what I didn't want. Like I didn't want him to have a fully booked mom and I remember being in the hospital and the nurses came in. They're like, there's this thing called coronavirus. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and they described it. as was like, like pandemic, like 1918 pandemic. Yes, you need to take this baby and go home and don't leave till we figure out a little bit more about this. Because at that point, it was like they just announced that it's a pandemic and everybody's buying toilet paper like crazy. March. I mean, that was right at the yeah. start of it. Look where we are now. Yeah. Wow. So that was wow. when I was taking him home, the process of taking him home. And and it's just like everything got shut down. All the events that I had booked, I was getting cancellations of everything. Every speaking engagement, every festival, everything canceled. Every conference canceled. And so you go from being fearful of a fully booked mom to mom has no schedule. <laughs> I am here. There is nothing on from here to September, honey. There is nothing going on. So after a while, you're thinking this was a blessing in disguise. This is an opportunity for me to figure out for Mutt Sauce, if we were in stores and doing festivals before, how do we meet people where they are at home? And I've been working to find ways, working on a cookbook. Um, we started selling online. So you can go to muttsauce.com and just buy your sauces. So I can teach people not only about the business journey, but about food and how mutt sauce can make your life easier. Not just 
making food, it builds memories and you can make memories in this time at home with your family. Thanksgiving's coming up, you know, so some people are with their families and some people are not. And those are at home by themselves. Like, I don't know how to cook. Well, let me help you. (laughs) We got to get mutt sauce in some of these YouTube cooking channels. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, that's where it is. Telling entrepreneurs, meet them where they are. Where are your customers now? Don't think about where you wish for them to be. Just find where they're at right now and solve a problem for them. You know, being at home with my son and my my parents now live with me. So it's a little cozy four of us. And I get to see every day my my parents who've been waiting for 10 years to basically hang out with me. Right. <laughs> What are you in now? Right. So now it's every day waking up, having a coffee and some oatmeal with mom and watching the baby. And my dad, he quit his job to keep us all safe because he worked in a factory that didn't believe that COVID existed. And he's like, it's real. And I don't want to bring it home to y'all. So is there something I can do around here? I said, sure. Welcome to Mutt Sauce. So my dad is an employee of Mutt Sauce and he fulfills all the e-commerce packages. My mom is a, she just put in her retirement paperwork. So she was an educator. She was a teacher for 30 years and her specialty was early childhood education. She's a full-time caretaker during the day for David. So it all worked out. It's a bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's been bittersweet because, you know, it's a tough time for a lot of people and COVID Mm -hmm. is real. Our family has been touched by it too. Uh, And and it it sucks. You know, the people don't realize who haven't been touched by it. It's not just the person catching COVID. It's the not being able to be there for them in a time that's super scary. Mm -hmm. And and if they pass away, the not being able to go through what we're known as the grieving process of bring your family together, grieve together, comfort each other. You can't do that. So my hope for society in America is like we just exercise some empathy. You know, you might not understand, but exercise some empathy for those who are being affected. You just keep serving people. Just figure out how to keep serving. In wrapping up our conversation, if a young woman were to come up to you today and say she's thinking about joining the military, what would you say to her? Huh? Okay. What branch? Air Force? A. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Go Air Force. Go to the Air Force. Uh, I grew up in the Army and I went in the Air Force for a reason. Everybody. <laughs> I knew. Making, I was like, y'all can clown us all day long. That's all right. Because I loved my experience. I love, you know, I got friends who are like, I'm stationed in Italy right now. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. Germany, Italy, you know. Yeah. It, I, I loved Air Force. My grandfather, uh, he spoke highly of it, and that's why I, I chose it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now we have family in all branches. I don't knock them. I just, <laughs> my preference. And uh, I would also tell her that it's it's what you make of it. You know, your career is, is what you make of it. It doesn't have to be super scary or all this stuff that people try to make the military look like it's it's terrifying. I remember uh, someone asked me like, "Why would you sign up to go and like basically sacrifice yourself?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I think as a person, you have to exercise a little bit of selflessness. Don't walk around selfish all the time. Okay, mm-hmm. always be about you. That's not fulfilling. But 
I, I don't know. I've had so much fun. It's almost hard when people say, thank you for your service. I was like, but it was so fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, just take it for what it is and soak up as much as you can. And, and Hey, you know, I I've benefited from it even afterwards, you know, there's, there's, there's different ways that your service can be beneficial to you and your life. And don't let anybody like just get all the people in your atmosphere that may criticize or question you out of the way, no matter what it is Mm -hmm. and reach that self-actualization. So self-actualization is my new favorite phrase. It is when you are okay with, you you're okay with who you are your opinions how you live your life and that other people's opinions not that they don't matter but they don't affect you because you realize that they're just opinions well now you're speaking my language (laughs) i totally agree today our young women are being pulled in so many different directions and society's trying to tell them how to live and i just was in that headspace for so long thinking I had to live my life in a certain order certain you know boxes had to be checked I have to go to college I have to get a job I have to be married before I live with the guy and then when we're together (laughs) then we have the baby (laughs) you know so I'm just living a life by society's checklist and and it's it's not that I wasn't happy. I mean, I am happy. I look back, I don't regret my decisions in life, but at the same time, I realized I spent a waste of a lot of time just trying to avoid judgment, what I thought would be judgment. Uh-huh. And I put off having my son for another year after my divorce, because I'm thinking, what will it look like if I'm an unmarried mom? <laughs> and I was stuck in that. I was like, what will it look like? Uh-huh. And my mom, who, you know, she's definitely a believer. And part of the reason, part of the reason why I was hung up, because I thought she would be unhappy. I thought that she would just be like, why don't you wait for a good man? (laughs) You know, I I was trying to play out what she would say. Right. And not even ask her, you know. Right, right. So when I finally did, she's like, honey, that is great. You should do it. (laughs) I'm like, really? You wouldn't be mad. You wouldn't communication. Be <laughs> it's amazing what happens when we talk to each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> when we have conversations. Charlinda, you are a delight. I think you're so great. Uh, this was our first time meeting each other, and uh, it was so lovely talking to you. So you thank too. you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, and thank you, thank you for taking you know the time on a on this day to let me tell my whole life story. Same. I enjoyed it. (laughs) All the best to you and go check out mudsauce.com. Roger that. If you're a veteran in crisis or are concerned about one, contact the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, option one, or visit veteranscrisisline.net. Confidential support is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year.